Right, so starting with Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overwhelmed by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Um, Our second reading is uh, from Luke chapter 17, and we'll be reading verses 11 to 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you that you are the God who reveals yourself to us, Lord, so that we might both know you and be known by you. And so, Lord, we pray as we read your word tonight, help us to know you better, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, forgive me for an old favourite, but an atheist was walking through the woods, and in a loud voice, he, he cried out, what magnificent trees, what powerful rivers, what beautiful animals. Uh, and as he was walking, he heard a kind of a, a rustle in the bushes. He turns around and uh, suddenly coming out of the bushes is an enormous, hungry, nine-foot-tall grizzly bear. Uh, so he quickly starts running up the path, looks over his shoulder, but the bear's gaining on him. He keeps running, looks again. The bear's getting even closer. He trips and falls and rolls over trying to, to get up again, but the bear is upon him. 
a mighty paw raised to strike. And suddenly the atheist cries out, oh my God. And suddenly time stops. The sound of river and forest fall away and a a bright light shines on the atheist and a voice from heaven speaks to him and says, you deny my existence for all these years. You even teach others that I don't exist. And you even credit creation to a cosmic accident. Am I now to count you as a believer? And the atheist looks somewhat bravely up into the light and, and says, yes, I, I guess it would be a bit hypocritical for, you to ask, for me to ask you to treat me as one of your people now, but, but maybe you could make the bear a Christian. The voice from heaven says, very well. The light disappears, sound rushes back, time starts again, but the bear stops and brings his mighty paws together and says, Lord, for what I am about to receive, make me truly thankful. (laughs) Now, why am I telling you uh, that joke? Uh, Because it's one of my favorites, Uh, but also because if there's one thing that Christians are known for, it's that we're the people who give thanks you know, even if it is just where the people who give thanks before a meal. Uh, but I, I'm actually I'm willing to admit, I'm, I'm old enough to now to, to remember that you could, you know, watch a football game and at the end of the football game they'd kind of interview all the winners and, and very often uh, someone would pipe up and kind of thank God that they'd kind of won the football match. You don't see it much anymore, but it used to happen all the time. You know, we are known as, as those who, who give thanks. Uh, and thanking God is something that we've even spent a lot of time tonight doing. And it was great, wasn't it? It was wonderful to hear all those things that you all shared. Thank you so much for everyone who, who spoke up. I do hope that you can continue to share as the night goes on and even as we have a bit of supper together afterwards. Thankfulness is it's part of the Christian life. In fact, thankfulness is an essential part of a faith in Jesus. And that's what I want to show you tonight. And I want to show you this by sharing what happened the day that Jesus met 10, lap- 10 lepers on the road to Jerusalem. Uh, so I've got three things that I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about uh, the position of all, uh, the prayer of all, and then lastly, I want to talk to you about the praise of one, because that's a surprising ending, is there? Uh, only one of them comes back to thank Jesus for what he's done for them. But firstly then, uh, the the position of all, because all 10 of these lepers that Jesus meets, they're all in the same terrible position. Uh, They have the dreaded skin disease, and the dreaded skin disease of Jesus' day was the disease leprosy. Uh, Today, uh, we don't hear much about it, it's not such a big deal, it's relatively easy to treat, Uh, but back then in Jesus' day, it was probably the most feared disease in all of the world. It was deadly, it was incurable, and it was hopeless. Uh, and to the Jewish people, uh, to cure someone from leprosy was an equivalent miracle of raising someone from the dead. That's just how seriously they took this disease. Uh, and the disease itself is bad enough. Uh, leprosy is, I, I understand, and I say this carefully when I know there's medical students in the room, but uh, leprosy is it's a bacterial infection. Uh, it gets into the skin and into the nerves and into the, your sort of the extremities of your limbs and even into your eyes. And it actually causes you to become deformed. Uh, eventually, you even lose all feeling in the affected parts of your body. Um, and that is the critical and dangerous time of the disease because then, because you can't feel anything, you can hurt yourself, cut yourself or even burn yourself and you just won't feel anything. In fact, you can do quite serious damage to yourself without ever realising it. 
you just become numb to, to all sensation. Uh, and leprosy is contagious. Uh, even though now it is easily treatable and therefore transmission can be prevented, in the first century it was rightly feared as a, as a dreadfully contagious and devastating disease. And so the moment, the moment a, a kind of a person received that diagnosis that, you know, you have leprosy, uh, then all of a sudden they were cut off from community, from family, from friends. They were, they were outcasts. Uh, that no one could touch them or eat with them or, or be near them. Uh, they had to be uh, sent off to leper colonies, which were out in the wilderness, in, in places far from civilised lands, like where Jesus finds himself, the wilderness between Samaria and Galilee, when he meets these, these ten men. And wherever a leper went, they had to kind of cry out, unclean, unclean, or shake a rattle or something like that, to, to warn other people, stay away, because... I'm unclean, and if you come too near me, then you might become unclean as well. Now, that's why they do stand at a distance in verse 12 as they, they cry out to Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, as, as if that wasn't hard enough, uh, actually, under the Jewish law, leprosy made you spiritually unacceptable as well. You became religiously and ceremonially unclean, and so you were banned by word of God, by Leviticus chapter 13, from ever being amongst other clean people. You couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't go up and offer your sacrifices and find the forgiveness of your sins. You were banned from ever drawing near to God in his temple or in prayer. And so all ten of these men, as we, we read this passage, they are in a truly awful situation. In fact, I was trying to think of you know, a modern equivalent to this. And really, it was, it was hard to think of one. The best someone could suggest to me was, it's almost like those early days of the pandemic. And I hate to take your minds back to those days, but those early days of the pandemic, where if you were diagnosed, if you were, you were tested positive, they'd, uh, they'd whisk you off to a, a hospital and they'd kind of uh, take you away and you'd never be able to see anyone and, and who knows what was going to happen to you. They were awful times. And so too, the leper of Jesus' day, the instant you got that diagnosis, your whole life fell apart. These 10 men, they had no hope physically, no hope socially, no hope spiritually. Who knows how long it had been since these men had hugged their wives or kissed their children. All of them are in the same position. They have no hope, only this kind of state of almost living death. No hope, that is except for Jesus, except for Jesus. Because where their friends and their family and where even their religion could not help, Jesus could, and they knew it. And so when they see him passing by, they cry out to him. Have a look at verse 13. They, they cry out in a, in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, probably the lepers by now have heard of Jesus and all of the amazing things that he'd been doing. He was well known by this time in his earthly ministry by, by Luke 17. And they would have heard of his power to heal, even his power to heal leprosy. But they also realised that Jesus' power to heal actually comes from who he is. It, it comes from his authority as God's chosen king. And so they also cry out to him, they call him Master. Uh, and they, they're the only non-disciples of Jesus to do so in all of Luke's gospel as they plead with their master to show them compassion. And then Jesus does something rather odd in verse 14. He doesn't heal them immediately. 
even though that's often what Jesus did and even though that's exactly what Jesus could have done here. Instead, have a look at at verse 14 because instead he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, that Jesus tells them to go to the priest, that's not actually the unusual part. Uh, That's, again, exactly what the Lord told you to do. Leviticus 14 says that one of the jobs of the priests was to kind of authenticate any cure from leprosy and let people back into society. The strange bit is the last bit of verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed. Which means that when Jesus told them to go and see the priest, and when they do indeed uh, wander off and start walking towards the priest, they actually had nothing to show. They hadn't yet actually been cured of leprosy. You know, they take that first step towards the priest. No, they're, they're still lepers. Second step, still lepers. But, but the last step, they're, they're cured. Somewhere between the first step and the last step, they are miraculously healed. That, that incredible, unbelievable thing that they only dreamed of actually happens. They're healed. And they're even healed instantly and miraculously. And even all ten of them at once. You know, the disease, it, it suddenly vanishes. With all of its twisted limps and crooked fingers and atrophied muscles. In fact, in less time than it takes to tell the story, Jesus plucks the disease of leprosy with all of its tentacles out of each of their bodies, leaving no trace behind. And it's more than just a simple healing, it's a a cleansing. It's not just that the bacterial infection is now suddenly gone, it's that all the scars and all the marks and all the damage that this terrible disease does, it's all suddenly gone and they are, it's all washed away. But here's the thing, when Jesus said go and when they did indeed go, they were still lepers, that happened later, that was still in the future. The miracle comes after they leave Jesus' presence. So why did Jesus do it this way? Why does he send them off to the priest first? Well, maybe it was a test. Maybe Jesus was testing their faith. Uh, Maybe he was seeing whether or not they really believed that Jesus was the master, the one who could heal them, that he was both willing and able to do so. And of course, uh, obedience is always a sign of trust. You know, we, we obey someone who is an authority When we trust them, you know, you see the police person and they're directing traffic, you obey because you actually think they're there to do some good and and, and make things better. You you trust the doctor and so you take the medication or you, you follow their directions when they tell you what you need to do. And so too with Jesus. Will they trust him? And so he says, go to the priests. And by saying that, in some ways what he's really saying is, act as if you're already healed. Act as if you are already cleansed from this leprosy because you trust that I can and that I will cleanse you. And indeed, at the very end of the chapter, when the one comes back to speak with Jesus, Jesus says, it is your faith. It's because you believed that I healed you. It's because you trusted me that I cleansed you. And so if Jesus is testing their faith in him, then actually All ten of them pass with flying colours. They do exactly what Jesus asks them to do. Off the suffering band of sufferers goes to see the priest, trusting that Jesus would cure them. And it was as they obeyed the command of Jesus that Jesus cleansed them from their leprosy. And so all ten are healed. It's a marvellous miracle. It's an amazing thing. 
the kind of thing we just don't see or hear about today. But that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's not even the heart of the story. Because even though all ten are are healed by Jesus, only one of them returns to give thanks to God and to praise Jesus for what he has done. Now have a look at, at verse 15, would you? you know, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Only one man rightly praises God and thanks Jesus. Falling down at Jesus' feet. That's how thankful he is. And we're left in no doubt. This is the right response. This is what they all should have done. And it's made all the more remarkable because this right response comes from the wrong sort of person. Uh, He's he's a Samaritan. He's not even a a full Jew. He's only a a half-caste Jew, meaning that he's no Jew at all in the Jewish mind. But Jesus doesn't really focus on him for a moment. Instead, he asks in verse 17 a very penetrating question he asks in verse 17 were not all 10 cleansed where are the other nine has no one returned to give praise to god except this foreigner then he said to him rise and go your faith has made you well and here i think is the key to the whole passage all 10 of them were in the same position All ten of them made the same prayer to Jesus, the same request of Jesus. All ten of them obeyed Jesus, did exactly what Jesus asked. And all ten of them were healed by Jesus. Why did only one of them come back to thank Jesus? Now, of course, we're not actually told the answer, are we, as to why only one came back. But it's fun to speculate, isn't it? You know, perhaps some of them were in a rush uh, to get back to their families. You know, they, they wanted to hug their wives and to kiss their children. I mean, surely this moment was the happy ending to kind of more than one love story. Uh, perhaps others of them were, you know, they were keen to make up for lost time. They were, wanted to rush back and kind of restart their careers, see if they could get their old job back because they really wanted to, to get started again in, in kind of uh, getting on with all they wanted to achieve in life. Or uh, perhaps others of them thought, you know what, I, I, I've really got my eye on a nice apartment in downtown Jerusalem. I need to get in fast before interest rates go up again. You know? But uh, who knows? Who knows what their reasons were? I'm just speculating. But whatever it is, they had one, didn't they? Whatever it is, each one of those nine men, they had a reason why, uh, something that in their life was, was more important to them than going back and thanking Jesus, the very person who had given them back their life. And that just doesn't make any sense, does it? How can this thing in their life be more important to them than the one who gave them back this thing? How can something that is a, is a blessing from Jesus suddenly become more important than the one who has blessed them with this thing. It just doesn't make any sense. It's got it all backwards. And yet this passage does raise for me the the disturbing possibility that it might be possible to acknowledge Jesus, it might be possible to recognize who he is, it might be possible to call him master, even to receive and experience his saving power through answered prayer to get what you you want most in life from Jesus 
and yet still walk away ungrateful. And still consider the thing that Jesus has given us somehow more important than the one who gives. And no gift is more valuable than its giver. What a terrifying possibility. And yet I think this passage makes it clear that is a a spiritual danger that we ought to be on our guards against. Is it possible that we could become like the nine? That having received from God the life and health and freedom and opportunities that he gives us, the freedom to to study and get an education and pursue a career, uh, the freedom to, you know, get married and have families and, you know, to find a comfortable life in a very comfortable city, that somehow those things might become more important to us than the one who gives us those things. And of course, above all of that, there is the salvation that we have received in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because after all, the Lord Jesus Christ has plucked from our bodies all the tentacles of a far greater disease than leprosy. Because leprosy can kill the body, but sin can kill both body and soul. And we must be on our guard against all sin. But today it's the sin of ingratitude, the sin of of unthankfulness that we ought to be on our guard for. God does so much for us. Our indebtedness to him is immeasurable. And yet it can be hard, can't it, to spend time giving him thanks. We are in danger of becoming like a a little boy upon whom, you know, being given an orange by a man and whose mother then says, you know, what do you say to the nice man who's just given you an orange? And the little boy stops and thinks about it for a moment, then he hands the orange back to the man and says, peel it. Ingratitude is the leprosy of the soul. It eats away at our insides, it cripples our joy, it withers our compassion, it paralyzes our praise, it renders us numb to all the blessings of God. And it numbs us to, to other sins in our life as well. Now, Lindsay was telling me this week about a great youth talk that he heard once where thankfulness was described as a, as a goalkeeper, you know, a goalkeeper there to protect other sins from coming into your life. Because it's very hard to be envious when you're giving thanks to God for all that he's given you. It's very hard to be angry with someone when you're giving thanks to God for who they are. And it's very hard to be proud when we're giving thanks to God for all the abilities and opportunities that he's given us. I thought that was a wonderful image, thankfulness as a goalkeeper. And thankfulness is given to us to reorder our priorities. Thankfulness is given to us to remind us that the giver is always greater than the gift. That we must not become confused and somehow think that the wonderful things that God gives us, as great as they are, are ever greater than the God and His Son, our Saviour. That we ought to come before Him and praise Him and give Him thanks for all those things. But it's actually even deeper than that. What is God's chief complaint against humanity? Well, according to Romans chapter 1, it is ingratitude. Romans chapter 1 verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The important bit, verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave him thanks. Why is God angry? Why is the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people? Because they refuse to acknowledge God and give him thanks for all that he's done for them. That's the very heart of God's complaint against humanity. It's, it's ingratitude. It's, it's unthankfulness. It's, it's that we, we don't offer to him the praise that he deserves. The glory that is by right his and his alone. And it's not unreasonable, is it? It's not unreasonable to be thanked when you do something for someone. We all know that, don't we? You know, we all, we all understand that when someone does something for us, it's, it's right that we thank them. And we understand, especially the other way around, that when we do things for other people, we deserve to be thanked for what we do. And let me give you, I've, I've used this illustration before, but, you know, my favourite example of this is when I'm driving, you know? I am very happy to let you come in in front of me. I'm very happy to let people merge into the lane right in front of me. But I do want the wave. You know, I do want the courtesy wave. I want them to acknowledge that, yes, they know what I have done for them. And it's not unreasonable, is it? When, I, uh, when someone lets me in, I, I give them the wave. It's not unreasonable that they give me the wave. In fact, I'm still waiting for the day when all those signs that usually say police are now targeting speeding or police are now targeting people using mobile phones, I'm still waiting for the day when they read police are now targeting people who don't give the courtesy wave. You know, uh, cops pulling people over to the side of the road and just kind of lightly tasing them for not giving the courtesy wave. I'm still waiting for that, for that day because it's not unreasonable to be thanked for what you do, is it? You know, you, you write a book, you put in the, the, the acknowledgements and the thanks. You make a movie, they put you in the credits. We understand this. It's not unreasonable. And likewise, what does God want? He wants us to acknowledge who He is. What He has done for us as our Creator and our Saviour. It's not unfair. It's not unreasonable. It's, it's very normal. It, it, it's very ordinary. It's not really a big deal at all. And yet, says Romans 1, it's the very failure of humanity to do that. That means that his anger is being poured out on our worlds. And just come back to, to Luke 17 for a moment. Just notice one thing with me from Luke 17. Notice in verse 15 that when the man comes back to Jesus, it's with a loud voice that he praises and gives glory to God. Falling face down at Jesus' feet, thanking him and worshipping him. In other words... As loud as the man was crying out for help, so too is he loud in giving thanks to God for the help that he has received. I mean, if you're anything like me, when I'm finding things hard and when I'm in trouble, I'm telling everyone about how miserable life is. I'm, I'm asking for help everywhere. And I'm, and, but when God answers those prayers, when God is good to me, am I as loud when I give thanks? Do I go around telling everyone, let me tell you how great God has been to me this week, that he answered this prayer and he did this wonderful thing. Am I as loud in my praise and thanks of God as I am in my complaining about my life and my asking others for help? Absolutely not. And yet the man was when he came back to Jesus. As loud as he asked for help was as loud as he praised God when he received it. Now we need to finish up. Ten men were healed that day. 
But only one came back to give thanks. Are you like the nine or are you like the one? We can't be like the nine, can we? That's clear. And so today, we have been like the one. Today, we have spent time in church giving thanks to God for all that he's done amongst us. And what a wonderful time it was. And let's make every day like today. Let's make every day an opportunity to give thanks to God for what he has done for us, both in our, in our lives, all the blessings he gives us, but particularly that wonderful blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. That just as those lepers were, had all of that terrible disease washed away, so to us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of our sins have been washed away. We too have been cleansed. What a wonderful thing to give thanks to God for. Let every day be a day where we thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord for what he has done for us just as he deserves. And let's do it now as we pray. Heavenly Father, you have done so much for us. You have given us life now and life forevermore. Everything that we have is a gift from you. And for that, Lord, we thank you. May we be those who give thanks with a grateful heart for what you have given us. And may we even do it every day. And may that thankfulness, Lord, may it guard our hearts and our minds from sin. May it guard our lips from speaking evil. And we ask it all in the great name of Jesus, the one who cleansed us by his blood. Amen.